Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this interview hosted by Language on the Move. My name is Dr. Hannah Torsh, and I'm here with Professor Ingrid Kagol, and we're going to be talking today about linguistic diversity in education. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this interview is taking place on the lands of the Wadamadalgul people of the Dharuk Nation, whose customs and cultures have nurtured this country uh, since the dream time and continue to nurture it. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present and extend their respect to any um, Indigenous people from all over the world listening to this interview today. So, g'day, guten tag. Uh, it's lovely to have you, Professor Ingrid Kekolman. Hello, good tag. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our very great pleasure. Um, so what I wanted to start with for our audience who maybe hasn't had the pleasure of reading your work is just to ask you to introduce yourself and your work to us. I, of course, know and have been very influenced by your excellent work, but perhaps for those who haven't uh, yet, could you just give us a very brief introduction to who you are and where you work and um, tell us about that a little bit? I try to be brief about that because, you know, I'm uh, I'm in this kind of work for a number of years now. <laughs> uh, I'm an education researcher. My uh, my institute is international comparative and intercultural education research, uh, and I have a working group which is uh, which is dealing with uh, linguistic diversity um, in educational settings. So we. What we uh, our work is on linguistic diversity in education. We are not linguists. We are uh, looking uh, for work that is uh, that is dealing with un- inequity, with unequal access to societies, to uh, the public sphere, and in the center of our work uh, to education. Um, and what we do is. Uh, try and find more about the mechanisms why linguistic diversity is in education or other institutions not taken as a an asset, um, but mostly it has effects that um, make students or other people uh, um, insecure, leads them into inequality situations, etc. So this is uh, what we do. We're a research team of in my in my group, kind of twenty five, uh, mostly much younger than me researchers. Wonderful group, uh, and we're carrying out different um, big research projects. Like I told you yesterday about one with two thousand uh, students. We're um, trying to observe over a period of in in the meantime eight years. Um, and we have a lot of small projects which are uh, related to individual situations or related to classroom uh, um, uh, development, uh, development of, of uh, teaching, etc. So I think what we are trying to do as a group, um, and I'm a member of this group, uh, is um, kind of unfold the mechanisms around uh, language, which happen, although language is not the cause of it. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of inferential factors, uh, inferential factors in the individual, such as cognitive factors, etc., social factors, 
uh, cultural factors, economic factors, and how do these influence uh, language development, language practice, and for uh, and the chances in life uh, a person has. So that's what we do. That's beautifully explained, and I, I would like to um, to just go back to that point about um, you don't study language itself. And I guess to ask then, um, you know, we know that there are a lot of uh, educational inequalities globally, and it's a huge focus of of that, the UN and and many important um, bodies. Why linguistic diversity? So what's the reason that linguistic diversity specifically is your focus in educational research? Uh, well, I think um, just think of a situation in which uh, you have access to something in a society without using language. That'd be difficult. Um, but that's exactly it. In order to have access uh, to participation in a society, you always, you always need language. This can be very different kinds of language. It can be sign language or it can be oral language, etc. But language is all the time in the in the heart, in the core of every interaction, of every of every attempt to participate in something, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, in particular, in education, uh, well, language is actually the basis of every um, uh, development of knowledge. You can uh, you can develop kinds of knowledge by just you know repeating what a person does, like a dancing or whatever. Um, but the moment it comes to reflexivity, it comes to understanding a concept, etc. This is impossible without language. So that's for me the the important uh, the important starting point. So as language plays such an important role in development of uh, of a person in development of access to the world uh, what must we do in order to to provide possibilities for everyone to develop language which does not mean a language but language uh, as a concept as a, uh, as, a, as, a as a basis for for every uh, interaction uh, what can we do to, uh, to 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 give everybody a chance to develop it as good as possible? And I mean, um, this is not only about kind of being able to communicate. It's being able of understanding the world around you. Um, so language plays a role. Where, for example, you you would not be able to understand mathematics if you're not able to use language. Um, and that's why it is so basic. It is so necessary in every respect. Uh, a, a problem about language is that it is so much connected with ideologies, uh, with historical uh, developments like the combination uh, of language and the ideas of a nation state, etc., etc. Um, but language as such uh, hasn't got any, anything to do with it. Um, this is just politics or ideologies. And you have to take care of this when you do your research. Um, but language as, uh, as such is, in a certain sense, innocent. Um, well, that's why, what did I say? Um, that's why I think language is so important. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, the, the, the natural way of developing language uh, doesn't lead you um, over, over uh, a lifelong uh, 
what doesn't lead you over your uh, your biography into participation, because participation in a society is at a based on access to the world of script, mm-hmm. um, and that is where education comes in. So, education has to give you access to the world of scripts, and that means at the same time to diversity of languages, because oral language and uh, written language, they are closely connected, but they are different. Uh, so this is the first aspect of diversity. A child, be it monolingual or multilingual, has to understand that there are two different um, models, two different modes, and one doesn't translate or naturally translate to the other, but you have to learn, you have to cultivate the other. So this is the first, uh, um, the, the ancient door to language diversity and understanding, understanding things, but also understanding yourselves as functioning in la- in a language. So that's why I think it's so important. I could talk about this for ages. <laughs> And it's just beautiful the way that you put it. I really love the expression, the world of script, because it is so much more than just a functional tool. It is a whole, in the whole world, a whole way of thinking. Um, next time. <laughs> um, so I think that uh, it's so interesting as well how um, your uh, many years of researching in this context is also relevant in other contexts. And so for that, I'd I'd just like to ask you about the differences between the context in which you've worked um, uh, in Germany and in Australia. Um, I was privileged to listen to uh, a number of your talks in this conference and you've made some really, really interesting points, even to me, someone who knows a little bit about Germany, about the similarities of the differences, particularly uh, in the last decade, two decades, with changes in the world in terms of um, in terms of Germany as a migration destination. So, yeah, I wonder if you could speak to that. Yes, um, people, most people are kind of surprised that uh, Germany is uh, the second um, the second largest, second most popular destination of of uh, of migrants from around the world. So, international migration. Uh, since quite two two decades, mm-hmm. um, I'd say so. If you if you look into these tables given by the International uh, Office of Migration or any of these bodies, you always see Germany at the top uh, of the migration destinations. Um, at the moment, Germany has got um, immigrants from 190 countries in the world. Uh, that that actually means for all the world because uh, official countries uh, that exist at the moment are 193. So I don't know, I, I do know two of the countries uh, we, we don't have citizens, um, but I don't know the third one I have forgotten. <laughs> um, well, but actually we have, uh, the, the younger you get to the population, the higher uh, the percentage of uh, people with what we call a migrant background, meaning that the person uh, herself, himself, or uh, one at least one of their parents were not born in uh, in Germany. So that is what we call a migrant background. Uh, in in a city like Hamburg, we have uh, roughly fifty percent of the students that enter a school uh, living in a family with a migrant background. In that sense, um, so. 
when I compare the statistics in that respect, they're very similar to uh, to, to to many uh, phenomena in Australia with respect to migration, although there are two totally different concepts of migration. So uh, Australia is a migration country ever since. Um, well, not ever since, but since since a while. Yeah, since I don't have to get it. Haitian. Um, yes. And uh, and Germany, uh, uh, political uh, the the political sphere in Germany always denied that Germany is an immigration country, so they conceptualized immigration as uh, something that is happening, but which will be over uh, in due course, and uh, that makes uh, that makes up a, a number of the differences between our two situations because reactions on migration in, in Germany are very often short-sighted. So they turn um, activities into concepts uh, when a new wave of immigrants comes in. So like, for example, when in 2015, we had a, a whole lot of refugees from Syria, etc. There were set up a lot of wonderful camps, a lot of uh, new school classes, etc. for these children. Then uh, in 2017, when the figures go down, these uh, facilities were just given up. Now we have in 2021, uh, um, no, sorry, in 2022, uh, we have a new wave of uh, new immigrants coming uh, from Ukraine. And now the politics, uh, the, the politics is, uh, uh, they, they have to set up all these facilities again after they were you know, given up for quite some while. And this is a typical model of reaction to immigration uh, to Germany. That means there is no continuity. Uh, there is no, um, no systematic kind of integration plan. You have integration plans in, in certain areas, uh, like for example, education or uh, in the social sector. Um, but there is no comprehensive concept of how Germany reacts to migration or how Germany wants to uh, kind of establish an integration policy. So that is really very much of a difference which which uh, which is the cause of a lot of problems which we face for example in schools. Um, but there were a lot of models being set up and then again given up and being set up again and given up, et cetera, et cetera. That also means, for example, that in teacher education, that uh, you, you have in some places, uh, uh, you have a curriculum element dealing with diversity in linguistic diversity and other aspects. But in many uh, teacher education universities, you don't have this um, because obviously they react to the periods when there's not much immigration coming in, etc. Um, I think this has to change. But the new government we have um, is about to change. They are about to develop a new immigration law because they just simply see this doesn't stop. Mm -hmm. This will be, well, this is our future as it was our past. Immigration is something which is existing since mankind. I mean, okay. so. Um, I think you are very lucky in Australia about a number of prerequisites which you could make use of, like, for example, um, the, the translation services, things like that. 
these are things we don't have in Germany due to this idea we're not an immigration country. Well, I could also talk about this for ages. There is a, <laughs> there is a lot of differences. We always see uh, Australia as a multilingual country. This is also, in a, in a certain sense, a, a, little, a little bit funny because you consider yourselves to be monolinguals. Um, this is a very interesting historical development, which I once uh, tried to unfold in, a, in an article together with Michael Klein. Um, so how, how, how comes that these two very different histories uh, in the end uh, result in a very similar uh, self-conception of a country? Um, just like Germans, yeah, Germany's self-conception is to be a monolingual country, and obviously Australia, in a certain sense, is too. Although you uh, demonstrate linguistic diversity, you have a more close um, you know, the overtures. events around it, like um, making festivals and things like that, but nevertheless, self-conception is to be a monolingual country. Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting aspect for historical research. Yes. Um, yes, thank you so much for mentioning that article. It's a, a I read that early on in my PhD uh, career. It's uh, called the Janus, or the Janus, I think in English, the Janus Face of Monolingualism. Yes. And it's a fantastic article. I'm comparing those mm -hmm. two systems. Um, yeah, absolutely. And what we find in Australia often is that uh, the most the lingual part is often left out. So we have multiculturalism, which is celebrated, but often the lingual part is is not there. And so, yeah. yeah. But one one interesting uh, diversity, the difference between the two countries is that you have uh, statistics about um, the languages that are existing in uh, Australia. We don't have any statistics about that. Uh, this also has historical reasons, which I appreciate, um, because uh, in in the German uh, in the German history, um, the question of ethnic uh, uh, of ethnicity, ethnicity, but as defined from outside. Uh, so this concept is uh, is was is clearly linked to the uh, national socialist regime, and uh, so. Uh, in the National Socialist regime, you were identified as yes, Peju, yes, um, and uh, in relation to that, also um, um, features like language, uh, religion, etc., were you know like assigned were assigned to you. And uh, in reaction of that, when sitting up after the uh, Second World War, the new um, uh, statistical uh, um, offices, etc. All these questions around identity, uh, around ethnicity, uh, are left out. The only question which is officially asked in the national census is passport. Mm -hmm. So this is a legal category which is, uh, in a certain sense, innocent. Um, we are just about to to reinstall kind of uh, um, questions with respect to uh, ethnic identity in the in the census. Um, and one of the questions now, which is introduced, um, is uh, which languages are used at home. But um, this hasn't been clearly established as yet. We are about to negotiate about it. 
And well, but until now, we don't know how many languages uh, languages exist in Hamburg. I know you have something like 300 or a little more than 300. Well, the analysis was uh, like 400 and what? Yes, so although maybe well, I'll have to edit that bit out. Yeah, mind. but yeah, it's, it's getting higher. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because it's also because we have a population that are now declaring both ethnic identity and languages more frequently. Mm-hmm. So that's been an issue I know in some American research that people, for these ideological reasons, don't always declare, mm-hmm. but also sometimes that the, the categories on the census form don't, haven't been designed appropriately for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is that is the same in, in Germany where they're now about to, to develop a, a shield of design of these questions um, because what they have is yet isn't really working that well. Um, yeah, that's. Well, I, I made a, I made a, I carried out a, a little part, a very small project in uh, OE Hamburg, just to trying to find out uh, what is the linguistic situation in our university among uh, teachers, among professors, uh, among students, and in academic, in in, um, in the staff. Um, and then what we've caught is. Uh, that students responded that they have kind of 300 and more than 300 languages they use. We asked which languages do you uh, use every day in a sort of an everyday manner. Um, so more than 300 in the University of Hamburg. But there is only recognition of of one uh, except of German. And what what would you guess? Which one is the other one? <laughs> yeah. That's the language we're using right now, yeah. <laughs> yes. So we are. But the, Uni Hamburg has a kind of a uh, um, a motto, um, being diverse. Mm. Um, and the, it, within that, they, they talk about diversity of languages. And underneath that, they talk about German and English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, that's... Um, such a lovely point. I, I think um, my, my colleague, uh, Alexander Gray, who works in the through Chinese minority language, has talked about that too, mm-hmm. that linguistic diversity often in, pra- in practice actually just means Chinese plus English. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah it sounds like a great project. Um, look, I, I've only got one more question. I, I feel like we could keep talking. Um, uh, so I guess my question uh, is, Research like that, as all the other, you know, very much larger projects that you've done, um, you know, how can research into this challenge of linguistically diverse populations in educational contexts, how can it impact uh, real outcomes for those, those populations? And maybe you have some examples to, to tell us about or projects that you thought were particularly impactful. What um, I think uh, we have a lot of descriptions of diversity and how it works and uh, and what we're suffering from. Um, but what we don't have is yet uh, in the same kind of density and uh, um, is descriptions of how it can work, how people can, uh, can become successful although they are multilingual, although there is a lot of obstacles um, which they have to uh, to take, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so what we decided in our working group, I know, f- uh, two decades ago, is focus our work on what works. Um, 
not that much focus on what do we suffer from. Well, this is always the other side of the coin because, you know, what works is only relevant if somebody suffers from something. Uh, but uh, looking into data with this perspective, what works, uh, is obviously, um, is, it can obviously uh, be taken easier uh, by the general party, the public, uh, and also by politicians uh, with respect to the message, we can do something. It is not that we that we well that it's so overwhelming we can't do anything. Uh, and my experience is that in say the recent the last decade, our research on what works and what could properly um, be uh, upscaled, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, has got much more public uh, um, public um, interest than what we did before in uh, describing what doesn't work. So I think that was a good decision. It was a decision which was taken well voluntarily in, 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 in a larger group. So other groups have taken this. And now we are kind of, we are happy to have, for example, a, a project which is financed by uh, the European, uh, by the German uh, Ministry Endeavors. Uh, um, all based on this perspective, let's see, let's try and figure out what works and what can be transferred and what can be upscaled. Uh, so the second aspect of what we do is try to give evidence of what works, not just tell, tell stories, but give evidence of what works by, um, by scientific methods, which people believe in. Very often, this is quantitative methods. Uh, but what we try to do is show the the picture in figures, plus it gives the information about what the figures mean, and that is all, uh, usually a qualitative approach. You not go deeper into uh, situations, etc. So I think this is a fairly good way to do it. And um, my, my feeling is that we are fairly successful because we are heard by the public. Uh, more and more people get interested in it. And uh, for example, we have a lot of requests from teachers. Uh, what can we do? Can you come and and, uh, and work with us, et cetera? We can't, we can't usually because we don't have the, uh, the capacity to do that. Um, but we usually try to, to to help them. I mean, in language on the move is is something which is, in a certain sense, very close to to our uh, to our uh, kind of to our strategies. Um, our strategies are both focused on the education sector, mm -hmm. whereas language on the move is kind of covering uh, the larger picture of the of the society. So I think this very nicely uh, complements each other, and uh, well, I hope we cooperate further. Good. Thanks, Inkring. Yes, I'm sure it will be. A, it's been a lasting partnership for for many years, yeah. and uh, I'm sure it will continue. Um, oh, look, thank you. I'd just like to thank you so much for doing this interview with me, and for all of the excellent talks you've given here at Macquarie. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, I also have to thank our filming and sport team, Ms. Tanvina Bula and Ms. Anna Sobia Brisson, if you have stood here and filmed us. 
Um, and uh, I hope very much to continue to follow your work. And for those who are interested, where can they find you? Shall we put um, shall we put the address of your institute at the bottom so that people... Absolutely. And um, as, as, I, as I like to say, you're so much welcome in our work. If you want to visit us, just uh, let's try and find ways that you can do that. Yes, and, and now is a good time because it's very warm. Unlike the LDSC, where it's very warm. Where <laughs> the sun is shining. So the weather in Hamburg is much better better than people say it was. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I think we can we can uh, go and reward ourselves with a nice lunch now. So thank you again. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so thank you both.